0: Shoes. What's the matter, Morty? Coral. The, world, the Great gowns. World, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. World, oh, it has Hi, I'm Lauren Garoni.
1: I'm Chelsea Fairless, and welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen you this weekend because I went to Palm Springs. It was very restorative. Oh, was it now? It was. Tad and I met up with her aunt and her partner. So it was like a very fun intergenerational lesbian double date holiday weekend. Wow, I can't wait to see this movie on Netflix. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What was that terrible one that came out last year called?
0: Oh, but the one with Kristen Stewart. The one with Kristen
1: Stewart and the chick with the wig. Mackenzie Davis. <laughs> I was like, is Mackenzie Davis's character Hasidic and they're just not telling us? Or what was up with that?
0: Well, it was written and directed by Clea Duvall, right? Right. I think Mackenzie Davis is supposed to be a stand-in for Clea Duvall? Clea. Clea, Clea Duvall. Clea. You say Clea, I say I Clea. Clea.
1: I, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we can't pronounce anything.
0: Well, it's nice to see you. We did spend Thanksgiving together, a tradition oh, yeah. going back. You forgot. Was that
1: this week? This has been the longest fucking week, you know?
0: <sighs> Palm Springs has that effect on people. Yes. Last, actually, a week ago, we had Thanksgiving <laughs> together, Chelsea.
1: <laughs> it was great. I did no cooking, I picked up some pies. Uh, yeah, we force
0: someone else to cook the turkey. No, Leah enjoys cooking the turkey. Yeah, she lives for that shit. You need a division of labor. It is too cruel. And frankly, I blame the patriarchy for making the woman cook. I don't know, maybe men cook Thanksgiving. But for one person to cook the sides and the turkey, one, we don't have enough ovens. You need an an even distribution of labor, of which we have. (laughs) Leah cooks the turkey, my mom and I do the sides, and you and Tech at the pies. Yeah. And my dad brings wine and champagne.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I bring over a little bit of natural wine, you know. <laughs> which my father was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, your father's like,
0: ew. He's like, great, we'll put this over here.
1: I always love having Thanksgiving with your parents because there's a caviar course, which is... <laughs> Just really, chef's kiss.
0: Yeah, let's have the most like fattening and filling food right before Thanksgiving bacchanal. I
1: know. Imagine eating Thanksgiving dinner just, but right before that, you have like four glasses of champagne, like ten caviar bellinis.
0: Right. Well, my father is Roman, so you know that's I think in our in the lineage of the (laughs) Roman vomitoriums. I think it's a very classy touch. The caviar. Not yeah. the not the Roman vomitorium <laughs> of which doesn't exist. Anyway, this has been the longest week because somehow a new one just like that trailer dropped.
1: You know, when the trailer drops, I really feel like it drops. Like it shocks me. You <laughs> dun, know what dun, I mean? Dun. <laughs> it like it drops there's like a humongous thud like I'm riveted by it
0: I think this is really smart Steven Soderbergh talked about the fact that like studios and streamers should just start dropping trailers a week before stuff comes out because people's attention spans really can't handle anything beyond that
1: yeah yeah Uh, it's
0: genius I wasn't expecting this teaser trailer of an actual trailer like we don't learn anything still We still don't know anything. My biggest takeaway is
1: that the entire trailer is just different configurations of the cast in different restaurants, like having deep and meaningful conversations. I don't get the sense that they're going to a lot of parties. I don't get the sense that they're shopping. Right? Maybe this is a COVID thing.
0: I mean, we did get one semi-naughty talk. I guess maybe the naughty talk is reserved for the podcast studio with with the whole... uh... Che asking carrie when was the last time you masturbated in public
1: and she says uh, not since barney's clothes which i think was great like that was what really got me that felt like That's- that was a joke from the series not from the films
0: yes although let's be honest she's never publicly masturbated <laughs> she just wanted to seem cool
1: what is she Isabelle pair and the piano teacher <laughs>
0: Or are we supposed to take it to mean that a pair of Manolo's made her so hot she just had to go into the bathroom and was like, excuse me? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I thought that was great. There were other callbacks to the show. Like Mr. Big said, you know, I remember when you used to keep sweaters in your stove.
0: My biggest takeaway with Big was Big on a Peloton. Yeah. I mean, that checks
1: out. Like what middle-aged rich man doesn't have a Peloton?
0: Although I'm going to say a lot of the lighting with Mr. Big where he's backlit and he's almost halo-y i'm like does he fucking die in this and these are just her remembrances
1: of big okay well this is my theory and someone actually dm'd us about this i think there is a so time it's their theory it's their theory but i think they're correct i think there is a time jump of some kind because also we're seeing rose having two drastically different hairstyles they're shooting now miranda's red again They're shooting Miranda with different hairstyles. I think it's plausible that there's some like before COVID reality where Big's still alive and then maybe it just cuts to the future or
0: something. They did say they were going to reference COVID and if that's the way they do it, that's the only way I want COVID referenced in things. But I agree the way that Mr. Big
1: is lit. It's like he's John Travolta and Michael or some shit, you know?
0: So, sorry uh, for that
1: reference. I apologize.
0: Wait, wait. I get because these two films were like blockbuster stables and came out within a, a year of each other. Michael is where he's the angel. Phenomenon is where he has math powers, but also like shoots lightning from his hands or something. Or is that Powder?
1: Powder, Michael, <laughs> Phenomenon are all <laughs> the Venn diagram. <laughs> uh, all my favorite films. Um.
0: Anyway, Chelsea, I couldn't help but wonder, do you believe if you have good friends in your corner, anything is possible? (laughs) I do. I do. Another
1: thing that someone DM'd us about in this trailer, you see Harry and Charlotte in an elevator and she's like, Harry, you got to bring your A game or or something to that effect. And then they're at Nicole Ari Parker's apartment. So someone is like, do you think Harl? Do you think Harry and Charlotte are opening up their marriage?
0: Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be an undertone of this particular trailer of Charlotte going through something. And I don't know if it's, you know, for so long she wanted marriage and children. And they tap, on, they tap into this, and it's kind of the realest thing in the second film where it's like, I got everything I wanted, and now I kind of hate it. That I wonder if her kids are now grown. Her big question is, who am I now?
1: Totally. Well, it seems like Lily's going to college. And I guess who we're saying Charlotte is now is a swinger. (laughs) And so she decides to swing. (laughs) Maybe Miranda's swinging too. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) they're swinging from the rafters, baby. I would love a swinger plot line for someone. What else? We know that Shay's podcast is called X, Y, and Me, which checks out. Yeah. We got a new Carrie look that I really, really loved, which was the final scene, the Hello Lovers scene, where she is pictured wearing like a giant like cream silk caftan nightgown type thing in some sort of like white cloth towel or turban or something on her head. Oh, someone did DM us that they specifically wanted to know your thoughts on Carrie and the caftan. I love that. That was so chic. That was like fab. That was I don't know who it's giving. It reminds me of something but I can't put my finger on it.
0: Maybe you'll shout it out in the middle of the podcast when it comes to I, you.
1: Yeah, I'm like is there some Avidon photo of like Martha Graham in this outfit or something? I can't figure it out.
0: Ooh. Yeah, that's a that's a biopic that never happened, although it still could. Sarah Jessica Parker's Martha Graham.
1: Yeah, totally. But this is the closest thing we've seen to minimalism. Even though it is like obviously Captain's turban kind of flamboyant, but it does feel like more like it's cut from a sort of like Elsa Peretti type cloth than the other things we've seen her wear on this show.
0: Final thoughts. I think they're just going to rotate out the new cast members and Anthony, it seems, as Samantha replacements.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that is really noteworthy about this trailer as opposed to the previous ones is it really is bringing the new characters into focus more like they actually have lines for example they're humans
0: and we sort of see the corresponding original cast member that they will be friends with Yeah. Karen Pittman is for Miranda. Right.
1: And, you know, she's like, can we have it all, Miranda? And Miranda's like, yeah, but it's just really fucking hard or something like that. A
0: very (laughs) un-Miranda line, I gotta say. It is. And
1: Nicole Ari Parker is Charlotte's, like, some art world person, I imagine. She seems like that vibe. And Carrie's friends with Sarita Shottery, who also gets a line in this trailer. She's like, I just want, I just want a dating app that'll just like connect me with the perfect man.
0: Same boo, (laughs) same. Uh, Did you notice they're drinking Cosmos? Yes.
1: Yes. I loved that. I was concerned.
0: It would be concerning if they were not drinking Cosmos, but they are. Thank God. And I just want to say, you guys don't have to worry. We will be doing an, and just like that episode rewatch podcast Mm -hmm. debuting next week and going throughout the run of the show. So yeah. We're going to get our thoughts to you as fast as humanly possible. (sighs) And potential fun uh, guests will be joining us at some point during this run. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I was afraid they did... Are we going to
1: watch this together? Like, what are we doing?
0: Well... I think someone's taking an L and watching it at midnight, as they once said. Yeah. And then we're going to record this sometime in the morning on Thursdays, so that you guys can have it when you probably watch the episodes over the weekend. We're not expecting you guys to watch it on Thursday when it comes out. I'm expecting you guys to get up at 3 on the East
1: Coast and and watch it, as you should. Maybe for the first episode, but that's that's a big
0: commitment a month in. But that's
1: what we're here for, guys. Shall we talk about movies? The many movies we've seen. I went from seeing no movies to seeing so many movies.
0: Yeah, this is our very biased fall movie guide. Well, isn't it winter now? It's LA. It's 80 degrees. Well, this
1: is our, like, this is the shit that's going to be nominated for
0: Oscars, right? Like, that's what this is. Yeah. I wish we had a theme song, but we don't.
1: We saw House of Gucci at the Grove.
0: (sighs) I don't want to get into it. I mean, I do actually want to get into it. I have a lot of... I have a lot of thoughts. It's not good and we had heard from a friend (laughs) who had seen it previously who was like it's dreary and the pacing is terrible and you were like but hold on but Jared Leto's campy and our friend was like not campy enough you know I kind of my takeaway
1: from this movie is that I don't really have a strong opinion about it I don't think it's great I don't think it's terrible but the most shocking thing was that it's not campy
0: It's not campy and it's incredibly boring. And I can't believe how dreary it looks. It's Ridley Scott, who's one of the most amazing visualists as a director, who has chosen to shoot Italy and in post-production put a grayscale color tone on everything. Yeah. Which would be one thing if you're trying to mitigate the glamour of this world and try to demonstrate to the audience of like, you shouldn't be glorifying this, but you're actively trying to show Lady Gaga as someone that wants to be in this world. Right. So why is everything gray?
1: I don't fucking know. (laughs) Look, okay, I'm going to talk about the things I liked. I liked the scene where... Lady Gaga and Selma Hayek were at the spa and they were like rubbing mud on each other. That was campy. I like the scene where Lady Gaga went to hire the hitman and she got really butch for no reason.
0: Yeah, that's probably the campiest <laughs> scene in the film.
1: She's full like Joe Calderon for no reason. A lot of people really disliked her performance, but I didn't think she was bad. Although I don't think the character is particularly likable. I, I, I don't know if any character is particularly likable. Certainly not
0: Adam Driver. She's not the worst thing in the film.
1: Well, what's the worst thing?
0: I think the choice of everyone to speak in Italian accents, which is fine to speak English and then be have very thick... Italian accents, but then at times they speak in broken English because at one point Jeremy Irons goes, How, How do, you do you say? say? I know. What? Yeah, what the fuck was that? Like, I feel
1: like that had to be an ad lib, but like, why and why would they keep it in?
0: It just took me out of it so quickly. The other thing is having read House of Gucci and you were you kept interrupting me. You were like, no, no, no!" they were trying to make you can't tell everything you got to make things streamline it. But the things that they chose to keep out of the film, I feel like would have made it more dramatic because a huge plot point is kind of Jared Leto as Paolo Gucci, which we'll get into that performance in a second. But did you get that it's meant for the audience to understand that Lady Gaga forged these shareholder certificates that made Maurizio the head of Gucci? No. Okay. Because they establish early on in the film when you first meet Lady Gaga... That she can forge signatures because her papa is like, You do my signature so well. Oh, okay. I mean, I did go to the bathroom like 50 (laughs) times during this film. And then Maurizio can't become the head of the company because his father, in his will, he uh, gave his shares to his son, which was a majority stake, but never signed over the certificate. And then there's just a scene where Lady Gaga's like, We'll discuss this later. And then, like, two scenes from then, the police raid Maurizio's house, which is my favorite sequence, is his, like, butler trying to get him on a motorcycle so he can get out of the country and go to San Moritz and hide out, which is true. Right. That really happened. But Lady Gaga takes the actor that plays Domenico de Sol in another room, and she's like, he's like, what did you do with the signatures? And she's like, what? You think it's Paolo, right? And then the scene ends, and you're like, wait, what? Chelsea, I read the book. I couldn't even understand what was <laughs> happening in the scripts. Can we talk about
1: fashion, though? Yeah. So, well, okay. There's the costumes, which the fashion was good, but I don't think it was exceptional. I don't know how much of this will stay with me. Maybe the skiing outfits because of the sheer camp factor of them. Yes. But they were not as fab as, say, the costumes in Spencer, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I did love the fashion show, the Tom Ford fashion show. That was extremely
0: legit. That is the craziest thing about the film is so many narrative choices were made to not tell the truth of Gucci. However, the most specific thing in the film is the most accurate, which is the recreation of Tom Ford's Gucci show in 1995.
1: Yeah. So that was the show. It was all about like velvet pantsuits, um, you know Jason Lewis who played Smith Jared walked in that show they did recreate his look and found a model that looks exactly like him that was the most legit thing in the world although it was kind of a combination of two collections because in that show there's a scene where like a male model is wearing a thong that was not that collection that was sp- spring summer 97 which actually isn't on Vogue runway for some reason but they had to show that he was bringing this sort of you know, that that he was bringing sex back into the brand, which hadn't been a thing previously, right? Like, before that point, it's defined by luggage and floral scarves and whatnot. Yeah.
0: Palo Gucci's designs didn't really fuck. Yeah. It's crazy that the actor cast to play the model, Jason Lewis, was very accurate. However, Tom Ford, not so much.
1: I didn't even know that it was Tom Ford until the show, and he had been in multiple scenes leading up.
0: Okay, Again, I understand that you need to condense stuff for accuracy, but this again the stuff that they chose to gloss over or combine which is Domenico De Sole just hands what is a recreation of Tom Ford's headshot when Tom Ford was an actor in the 80s and shows it to Maurizio Gucci and is like we need him. When Maurizio Gucci made the choice to bring Don Mello, who is this very influential creative director of Bergdorf's who Tom Ford was working under and Don Mello brought Tom Ford to Gucci in 1989 but the way the film tells it is like Domenico de Sole shows this headshot of a Tom Ford in 1995 and it's like great bring him right he does the
1: collection well then he runs into Adam Driver at the Versace show also or whatever
0: that was the same person? I think so. That guy was a window dresser because they showed oh, that window okay. dresser. See, I don't know. I office. can't
1: tell the difference between guys. Uh, well, okay. The other weird thing is that Tom Ford should have been played by Jared Leto. Why did Jared Leto like have to play? I, I, I really hate when hot people play average looking people. You know what I mean? Character actors deserve to play average looking people.
0: And also, Paolo Gucci d- didn't look that hideous. Like, you could have <laughs> just cast Paul Giamatti in that role.
1: I think, like, Jared Leto just loves a physical transformation. Like, I he, feel like he, he would won't p-
0: be denied.
1: Yeah, like, I feel like he would play precious if someone would let him. You know what I mean?
0: And also a thing with Ridley Scott is he is the type of director that does not really police actors like he's clearly the, i yes which would explain why everyone is in a different fucking movie well Jared
1: Leto is in a very different movie Jared Leto is like you know how in like Shakespearean comedies there's always a character that's basically like a jester yes that is Jared Leto in House of Gucci
0: honestly there was all this controversy a couple months ago with Chris Pratt being cast as Mario i feel like jared leto or leto should be mario because his accent is so mario like Uh, and they make him say all these bizarre idioms that aren't idioms Uh, it is a, a daddy papa you are a dinosaur posing as a butthole it's like wait what okay also
1: anna wintour Okay, that was a really a lot to unpack uh, because there was, you know, one scene where Anna Wintour briefly appeared, but it wasn't like Anna Wintour as she was in the 80s. It was Anna Wintour circa right now.
0: Anna Wintour in the the first Monday in May documentary and also and I don't mean to be insulting it looks like she's got MS like it's Anna Wintour with MS her body is shaking for unknown reasons yeah like this is how Joan Didion looks now you know (laughs) or it's also
1: kind of giving like alcoholic cabaret singer you know what I mean
0: that just kind of has the shakes and kind of sounds like a British Catherine Hepburn, like a more mid-Atlantic accent.
1: <laughs> yeah. What well, was weird It's also she didn't really dress like that then. Like she wore no. like the clothes of the era in the 80s. She also had like a much darker bob and it was just, you know, it wasn't and, and, giving realism.
0: And also didn't compulsively wear those giant Chanel sunglasses until the 2000s. Or those shift dresses for that matter. As we came out of the theater, Tom Ford released an essay on airmail of all things, talking about his feelings about the film. Not a fan, although a fan of Adam Driver and Lady Gaga's performances, but I couldn't get over the fact that he referred to Jared Leto's performance, Apollo Gucci, as someone who seemed to be mentally handicapped. Is that even politically correct? No, but I don't care. And then also, you know a film is not good when the family it's about is like, look, we may have to sue you. (laughs) We will take appropriate legal action.
1: There was no one that didn't come across as being a jackass. I mean, I thought Al Pacino
0: I had the most sympathy for. Yeah, it's funny. The thing that they took the most umbrage with was like, hey, we had plenty of women in positions of power. And also, why are you glorifying Lady Gaga when she murdered someone? I was like, I don't I don't think they're glorifying her. I was sad that we didn't get to see her be arrested or anything. Again, if you listen to our previous episode was about fashion crimes, and I get into the House of Gucci murder, which you might want to listen to because it's a more accurate and detailed portrayal of what happened. Yeah, she wasn't arrested till two years later. And I discussed this in the episode. I could have sworn we were gonna get the trial where she accuses her psychic of doing. Her murder. psychic Salma
1: Hayek yes. who ironically is the person that actually owns Gucci. Today,
0: Yes, I noticed that in the uh, in the outro that they talk about, you know, Tom Ford and Domenico DeSole brought the company to huge success and they brought the company public. But in bringing it public was their own undoing because it allowed uh, Henri Pinot to uh, buy out the stock and push them out. But I noticed that part, that title card wasn't in the end.
1: <laughs> no. Moving on, Spencer. We also saw that together at the Grove
0: Which is becoming the new Arclight. For those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, or for those who do live in Los Angeles, we've often spoken about our true mourning for the loss of the Arclight Hollywood, but I think it's shifted over to the Grove, what was the Pacific Theaters, now the AMC Theaters.
1: Yeah, or if there's some place more fabulous that we should be going to, please tell us. But The Grove is good because it has a lot of the blockbusters, good location. It has a bar like Arclight. Although,
0: let's face it, the drinks leave
1: something to be desired.
0: You know who I was thinking about? Our beloved...
1: Bartender at the Light. Yeah. Know, Where Tommy. is he? I don't know. I think about him all the time. I've never had a better Moscow Mule in my life.
0: If anyone listening to this pod knows... Of, of an a...
1: otter named... Um... Tommy, whose favorite film is Orlando. <laughs> Well the best part about it was that first his favorite film on at Arclight the um they forced the they forced the employees to put their favorite movie on their name tag so his was the hours which I was like respect then he changed it to Orlando so only Virginia Woolf adaptations, which is just warms my heart, obviously.
0: But we would love to know where where he went. But my issue with AMC theaters is you get a half an hour of trailers. So we saw House of Gucci, which is a two and a half hour film, which too long and pacing is awful. And uh, But then before that, you get a half an hour trailer. So it's a three hour experience in and out. Yeah. I mean, I love Spencer. If you watch The Crown and were like, I love The Crown, especially the last season with Princess Diana, but I would like it to be a psychological horror film directed by a European, this is your film.
1: Totally. I heard that everyone hated this movie, but I liked it too. I mean, it was kind of boring at times, but also this film falls within my favorite genre, which is movies about glamorous women having nervous breakdowns and fabulous houses over the course of a weekend. Like, What more do you need? Yeah. the, The clothes were major. The clothes were genius. The silhouettes were perfect. She was so skinny that she was swimming in these big boxy 80s suits with those skinny legs and pantyhose. And it was just like so fabulous to see. I mean, shout out to the wardrobe department.
0: And I believe Chanel actually created some of those costumes because of Kristen's yeah, relationship. For sure. I imagine you also enjoyed it for the lesbian subtext. Could you even say that was subtext? Just text. Well, it was like the
1: saddest lesbian plot line of all time because basically Princess Diana had this dresser who she had this kind of codependent relationship with. But the dresser was fully in love with her, confessed her love to Princess Diana, and then Princess Di was just kind of like oh like you're so sweet I love that for you wait are we talking about the
0: movie or is this real no this was in the movie Oh, okay <laughs>
1: I don't know. Do you not remember that scene (laughs) when they were sitting on the
0: beach? I remember that scene, but you were talking about it as if this was taken from a real life incident. So I don't know if there's any truth to this. The film is by the guy that did Jackie, which I did not see, but now I want to go back and watch it. I liked the parts that were surreal. I almost would have liked more of that sort of black
1: swan vibe because that part where she ate her jumbo pearls was delightful.
0: Yeah, we should say for those who haven't seen it, because going in, I went pretty blind into the film and I was wondering, is this going to, what time period is this going to take place in? I had imagined like, oh, maybe this is a roving story of different points in her life, but it takes place over a Christmas weekend at one of their homes when Charles and Diana are on the brink of divorce. And so Charles is there, but he's not really a part of it. It's really Diana and her children, But you understand that he's right. He gave the pearl necklace because she says this to two of the people who work there. The same necklace to Camilla. Right. And so there is a scene where and it's the first moment of surrealism or magical realism in the film, which is she's at dinner and she doesn't want to have the soup and the necklace is suffocating her and so she rips the necklace off and starts eating the soup with the pearls and no one's really noticing because they're all British and you know stiff upper lip and then she starts eating the pearl soup. Loved that.
1: I also loved when she had like kind of like a nervous breakdown and it turned into a smashing pumpkins music video where there was like a single
0: ballerina. <laughs> oh, in the uh, in her abandoned childhood home which she keeps trying to to get through throughout the film. Look, for me as a writer, what annoys me about House of Gucci that I love about Spencer is like I know I could have written House of Gucci better and that's what annoys me about the film, but Spencer, like the where it goes, the choices that are made, it's like I couldn't write that. Like I felt like I was on a journey and I felt safe with the director and their vision. Sure. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're like you're like it's the lesbian subtext in the Chanel
1: costume. I for mean me. I could have used more of that. I wish they just made it really historically inaccurate <laughs> and had her just fully like les out. Yeah, Kristen Kristen Davis.
0: Kristen Stewart was great. <laughs> Do you think she's going to win the Oscar?
1: I don't know if she's going to win, but she's secured that nomination for sure. So we get a nice press
0: tour with her, an Academy press junket. Yeah.
1: But I think the best part of seeing Spencer and seeing House of Gucci was getting to see that breathtaking AMC commercial starring Nicole Kidman.
0: (laughs) I would love to know the meeting between AMC executives because you know there were no less than 15 Of what actors they should hire. Like how much money did they give her to do this trailer? If you've not seen it before you go see an AMC film, after the half an hour of trailers, AMC plays their own trailer, which is weird because you're already in an AMC theater. Yeah, it's like you've
1: already taken my money.
0: And it is Nicole Kidman entering a CGI AMC theater and watching films.
1: But she's by herself. No one else is in the theater. She's also wearing this very chic gray, like pinstriped pantsuit. But the pinstripes are like glittering, like they're rhinestones or something. So she looks like she's like in a production of Chicago or something. And then she's just like watching movies by herself, laughing to herself. She's also like saying what is written like a voiceover, but she's doing it to camera, which is really strange. We'll just drop a clip of it in. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Sound that I can feel. Somehow, heartbreak
0: feels good in a place like this.
1: Yeah, it definitely had like a welcome to my home type
0: quality. (laughs) Welcome to my AMC theater. (laughs) I know it was pretty it was pretty bonkers well speaking of the AMC at the Grove being the new Arclight I saw the new Mike Mills film without you called come on come on
1: was it good
0: uh I'm still processing yes I overall liked it I think my favorite Mike Mills film is still beginners but I also saw yeah, that the same at a, a kind of perfect m- moment in time but I say that the AMC Grove is the new Arclight because Joaquin Phoenix and Mike Mills introduced the film, which cute would have been the Arclight if not for it no longer existing, but... Come on, come on. When I saw the trailer, I thought it was a bit of a marriage story type movie with Gabby Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix and their child or something that he has to babysit. But really, Gabby Hoffman is Joaquin Phoenix's sister and she has to go take care of his nephew's father who's having a breakdown up in San Francisco and like heartwarming hijinks ensue basically. Like, I love films that would otherwise be. Like Steve Gutenberg films in the 80s, but dealt with by indie <laughs> auteurs and like bringing that sure. perspective. But do you know what Where's I mean? Where's the Mike Mills version of uh, Three, Three Men, Men and, and a Baby? Baby. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's who I want to do the remake. So maybe this Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig, Barbie film won't be so bad. Yeah. I enjoyed it again 20 minutes too long but that could have been the half an hour of AMC trailers which included that bizarre Diet Coke commercial where the whole (laughs) premise is that only old people drink Diet Coke and we all know this and that cool people and young people can drink Diet Coke too and I'm like Whose perception is it that octogenarians exclusively drink Diet Coke? No, they drink caffeine-free Diet
1: Coke. Like, have you ever looked in an old person's refrigerator? It's just like those gold cans.
0: Yeah, and like eating disorder moms of the 90s and early aughts are who drink Diet Coke. Yeah. Like if Jennifer Aniston was in that commercial, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Bizarre premise. I mean, I still drink Diet Coke. Love Diet Coke. And finally, speaking of good theaters we should go to we each saw Licorice Pizza separately at the only place it's currently playing in Los Angeles which is the Westwood Regency Theater
1: yes which was great I because again since before the pandemic I have not seen a movie in like a nice movie theater or an old-timey movie theater a classic theater
0: yeah I don't think for those who have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I don't know if they shot at the Bruins Theater that's across the street from the Regency or the Regency the scene where Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate goes to the movies but it's one of one of them yeah yeah so it's like a theater of that era
1: yeah no it was really fun to be there and i i did go to an advanced screening with paul thomas anderson and alana heim (laughs) alana heim looked fabulous by the way her stylist is great yeah shout out to them
0: so you did see an advanced screening i saw it last night with my friend lauren just so that i could (laughs) have this conversation with you but you had texted me weeks ago when you saw it you were like Film's great. You're going to hate it. I didn't think you would like it. Did you like it? Yes. Okay. Do you know who didn't like it? Not this Lauren, but the other Lauren. Other Lauren. (laughs) Okay. I can see that.
1: You know, it's interesting because on one hand, I was kind of bored in parts of it. I wasn't really that connected to the central romance. I just didn't find it that
0: riveting. Well, how could no one speak to the fact that she's 10 years older than him? It's like Harold and Maude. Not exactly, but... It's not
1: exactly like Harold and Maude.
0: Yes, there is this...
1: He's 15, she's 25, right? When the film starts. (laughs) Inappropriate, although they never fuck or anything. So it's just kind of like this prolonged kissing weird well that's the other thing is like they don't really have the chemistry of two people that want to fuck they have the chemistry of a babysitter and a kid that she has like a long standing relationship with right you know is kind of like you know the vibe that their relationship has
0: Yeah, I sense that you thought I wouldn't like it because there's not much plot to speak of, of which there isn't. But again, one, I respect the fact that Paul Thomas Anderson is one of basically three directors working right now, writer directors working right now, who can write whatever the fuck they want and get 40 to 80 million out of a financier. Yeah. You think Paul Thomas Anderson's getting notes on licorice (laughs) pizza?
1: Oh, absolutely
0: not. No, so I respect that. And I also like that it's a very small story that he's using all of these Magnolia-esque camera flourishes, the long takes, the whip pans, and so unnecessarily shooting the small movie on 70 fucking millimeter. <laughs>
1: It was breathtakingly beautiful.
0: It was. But Lauren's point, which I agree, uh, Lauren, who grew up in Encino, mm-hmm. I went to school in the Valley. Not enough Valley for my for my liking. Well, see, I
1: can't tell what anything looks like. That's so true. I, I just don't know. You're
0: like Sherman Oaks, Encino, never heard of her. <laughs> Tarzana, who's she? Yeah,
1: I don't know how authentic it actually is to the Valley in the 70s. Although, I mean, it's so beautiful the way it's shot, the production design, the costumes, everything about it. What to me is the most stunning is the casting, how everyone looks, how, you know, no one is overly made up. No one has plastic surgery. It looks so authentic and refreshing.
0: And I think... I Like the kids
1: have pimples and stuff, you know, which I feel like you don't really see.
0: No, and I think you're point about the casting is there's one thing to cast a period specific film but there's something to cast people that look like they actually lived in the 70s
1: yes which is very much the case with alana heim and um what's philip seymour hoffman's son cooper cooper Hoffman, who is the the male lead had never acted in anything else, it
0: was fantastic. He was, he was fabulous. They were both great. And I, usually I'm not here for a precocious child film, but I enjoyed it. He, he's up to sort of the valley equivalent of Ferris Bueller hijinks. Yeah. And I can't believe it's taken us this long to talk about maybe the best thing of the film, which is the 7 to 12 minutes that Bradley Cooper is John Peters in this movie. It's absolutely incredible.
1: Sure, there were sections of it that were a bit boring for me, but I will never regret seeing this film in my life because that was one of the best things I've ever seen.
0: And there is a sequence that is so tension-filled, which I won't give away, that... That incorporates the uh, 1973 oil crisis, a delivery of a waterbed and uh, Bradley Cooper's John Peter's character that is equivalent to the Alfred Molina sister Christian scene in Boogie Nights for like, (laughs) my heart is beating out of my chest. What's going to happen?
1: It was just so good. And in that Q&A, Paul Thompson Sanderson said that that was the first scene that they shot. Was that scene where they're delivering the waterbed to... Oh, Bradley ever, ever. Yeah, of the film.
0: What I'm sad about is there's a scene in the trailer that's not in the film, which is him smashing car windows... Right. Well the but the funniest
1: part of the movie to me was when he smashed the shop window. Like you thought he was done for. You thought <laughs> he's
0: back he comes back. Well, I what I wonder is in that first scene between Bradley Cooper's John Peters and Gary Valentine, is he says something to Gary Valentine, which is, you know why we're gonna get along, because we're both from the streets. And I wonder if that's something that John Peters has said habitually or if Paul Thomas Anderson got that from Kevin Smith's infamous story of meeting John Peters when writing Superman because, we'll put this in the show notes, the story, At one point, Kevin Smith goes to John Peter's house because he's writing a uh, never-made Superman film. And John Peters looks at Kevin Smith and he goes, you know why we're going to make a great Superman film? And Kevin Smith goes, why? And he goes, because we're both from the streets. (laughs) And Kevin Smith goes and he says- Yeah, that has to be from that. Yeah, he tells it to a college audience. He goes, goes, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. This man is a hairdresser. Like, I grew (laughs) up on a street. I didn't grow up on the streets. (laughs) Oh, that's so good. I mean,
1: there were great supporting performances throughout this film. Sean Penn, amazing to see. I loved seeing Tom Waits also. Yeah.
0: I also think I want to fuck Bradley Cooper's John Peters character. Is there something wrong with me? No. Now, these movies that we've seen together, I've been on this high of like, I miss being in a theater. And that all came crashing down last night when I saw Liquor's Pizza, when two fucking film bros behind me were having a running commentary about P.T. Anderson as the film was happening.
1: Oh, so you were basically like watching a terrible like YouTube channel that you just couldn't escape. "Hey, hey, Hey, shut the fuck up. (laughs) you should have gone bradley cooper on them bradley Uh, cooper as john peters yeah so i guess yeah see licorice pizza see all these movies yeah what else is that it that's all the movies we've seen this is
0: again our very biased winter film guide what should we talk about next Many times we get on like a high of talking about something and then we have to talk about something uncomfortable and there's really no good transition. So, I will just say last week Anthony Broadwater, who spent 16 years in prison for the rape of author Alice Sebold when she was a college student, had his conviction overturned after major flaws in Broadwater's arrest and trial came to light. Sebold would go on to publish the memoir Lucky in 1999 about the incident. Those of you probably know Sebold as the author of The Lovely Bones. Yes. I read
1: Lucky when it came out. I completely fucking forgot about it until I saw the New York Times article about this. And I also read The Lovely Bones too. This is such a dark and tragic story, but one that has really captivated, I think, both of our attention this week.
0: The story is so wild. It's obviously tragic. It has this bittersweet now ending to it, but this only came... This is bittersweet. I think this is like Shakespearean. Uh, yes, but <laughs> because,
1: okay, so the initial crime is dark enough, right? Like in Lucky, you know, she is... It's like what we all fear. It's she's jogging or something and a man jumps out of a bush and brutally rapes her. And then a few months later, she sees... Who she believes is her rapist on the street. Right. Uh, and then, you know, obviously goes through the process of reporting him, all that shit. But she picked Broadwater out. Of a lineup incorrectly, right? So then she picked the guy off the street. They brought him into a lineup, and then then in the lineup she picked another guy. This should have never gone to trial.
0: No, I mean this is equally the prosecution's fault. However, she went on to write a memoir about this, which came out the same year the Broadwater was released. Anyway. The craziest thing about this story, like this man could still have this conviction on his record if not for a producer named Tim Musanti, Mucanti, who got curious about the case when they were adapting Lucky into a possibly a film. And he noticed all of these inconsistencies between Siebold's story and the script. I tried to find more information about this. I keep yeah, finding- because did the... she
1: write the script?
0: I know, I can't find information any more than that sentence kind of keeps getting repeated in every story. And and he left the project and hired his own private investigator. And that's how all of this came to light. This is the story, and they should still make this movie. I don't know the receipts for this. I saw this yesterday in a Daily Mail story. I tried to find more about it, but it said according according to the Daily Mail, he will now produce a film called Unlucky. Not sure if this is true. And again, we're not trying to make light of this tragedy at all, but like it does call for an adaptation-esque.
1: Adaptation.
0: Yes. For those who don't know the film, Adaptation, it is a Charlie Kaufman script where Charlie Kaufman was tasked with adapting an actual book called The Orchard Thief, Could Not the Orchid Thief. Orchid Thief, sorry. Could not lost his mind while writing it and turned into the studio a script where he wrote himself into the script trying to adapt the Orchid Orchid Thief. Orchid thief. The Orchid <laughs> Thief. <laughs> the orchid <laughs> thief. Into a novel, which he couldn't. Invented a twin brother. Like, it's it's pretty genius. Yes. It's I-
1: genius, actually. Yes. Um, and I feel like that would be the perfect way to tell this story. The movie that was in development, um, What's Her Face From You was attached to it. I don't know what her name is. That uh, actress vi- that plays...
0: Um, Love Quinn. Victoria... Pedretti Pedretti Who then dropped out of the film Although it said that the film had lost Financing months ago Probably when this stuff started to come to light
1: Yeah But I love the idea of like It's sort of following the investigator And then maybe the scenes with What's her face It can kind of be up to the audience Did it happen like this? Did it not happen like that? You know What
0: do you mean Alice Sebald's story? Yeah because clearly her, she ID'd the wrong person. like, And she learned that at the time and the prosecutors told her something else. So on Tuesday, the media ran headlines that Seabold apologized. But if you actually read the apology, it sounds more like one of those, I'm sorry, you were offended by that kind of apologies. I don't know how she can live with herself. I mean, okay, I don't know how this guy
1: can cope with the fact that he was wrongfully incarcerated, of course, but also Alice Seabold. It's like, I don't know how you live with yourself.
0: Yeah, when I initially heard the story, I thought like it was like the West Memphis Three or something. He was still in prison. He he has been released since ninety nine. He I don't know if you saw this part, but he went on to marry and refused to have children because he didn't want his children to carry the burden of this. Ugh, it's he had to so depressing. He had to go on the sex offender registry list. Okay, this is part of Siebold's apology. Released on Medium, which is like the most white lady NPR thing you could do. Yes. It read, First, I want to say that I'm truly sorry to Anthony Broadwater and I deeply regret what you have been through. I am sorry most of all for the fact that the life you could have led was unjustly robbed from you. Well, how was it robbed from him, Alice? And I know that no apology can change what happened to you and never will. Of the many things I wish for you, I hope most of all that you and your family will be granted the time and privacy to heal, i.e. I hope the heat gets off of me. Well, also, doesn't that... Yeah, I
1: don't even know what an appropriate statement would be for something like this.
0: There's no I in this apology. What I have done to you, my role in this... Yeah, she kind of blamed
1: like a flawed legal system, which is partially at fault, of course, but she was the one that sort of knocked over the first domino in this process.
0: And he evidently had no idea that she had written this memoir and made money off of it. I mean, I would have said like, at this time, I am working with, you know, Broadwater and his family to make this wrong right. Yeah, and this formative
1: trauma of this rape that did happen to her, just we should say, like that is not uh, up for debate. But that means her- It just wasn't him.
0: Well, also the psychological trauma of realizing like your rapist is probably still out there and maybe never got caught.
1: It's awful, but yes, could be a insane film if anyone wants to touch it. Although Lovely Bones was a great book, but the most terrible movie- Peter Jackson directed it, so I was excited when it was coming out, having read the
0: book. And loving heavenly creatures.
1: Yes, but it wasn't... It was not giving heavenly creatures at all. Basically, like, this book is largely narrated by a girl that's raped and murdered and is narrating the rest of the film from heaven, but heaven looks like... A Venus Razor commercial. Like it's the worst CGI you've ever seen. It's giving like, what was that Robin Williams movie?
0: Oh, What Dreams May it's Come. It's giving
1: what dreams may come. Can you imagine getting to heaven and it looks like shit? But then you
0: learn you're actually in purgatory. You think you're in heaven <laughs> and you're like, I didn't know heaven was going to be so poorly art direct. And they're like, guess what, bitch? You're in purgatory. <laughs> you're in a home goods store for a thousand years. Deal with it. Oh, you know the Ryan Gosling element of The Lovely Bones, right? No. <laughs> what
1: Ryan Gosling element? I mean, I've blocked out pretty much that entire film except for Stanley Tucci, who was great and very creepy.
0: Yeah, which it probably is why Stanley Tucci is like, I'll play all the gay sidekicks in every film t- from here to come because I d- I need to wash this off. Yeah, that got too
1: real. I was just a little too good at playing that part.
0: No, Ryan Gosling was supposed to be the dad, which I think is played by Mark Wahlberg, and Ryan Gosling's many years younger than Mark Wahlberg and definitely not dad age. So he was like, Oh, I know, and this is around like Notebook time, right? He was like, I know how I can look more like a dad. I'm going to gain 60 pounds. And he never told Peter Jackson that. And he just showed up to set 60 pounds overweight. And Peter Jackson was like, no, you're fired. And he immediately got fired from the Lovely Bones. And they hired Mark Wahlberg.
1: That's so fucking insane. <laughs> Why would you do that
0: unprompted? <laughs> <laughs> he felt it was right for the role, Chelsea. Insane. That's that Jared Leto dedication, OK? Exactly. We have more depressing shit to talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some noteworthy deaths this
1: week, of course. First, Steven Sondheim, who I love because I love musical theater. But I know that this is something that you don't really give a shit. Although dick
0: tracy soundtrack i know <laughs> i'm i'm a big dick tracy stand. so here's what i realized we were packing for those of you that bought our candle we were packing up candle orders last saturday and you were playing sondheim music and i realized my barrier to entry with musicals is the talking to singing because when you were just playing like musical numbers back to back to back i was in right Well, it is hard, especially if you haven't,
1: especially if you haven't seen the show, you know, but all Broadway soundtracks should have a version without dialogue, kind of like the Star is Born soundtrack did. Yeah. You know, because we don't, we don't need those sort of weird interludes. He's, it's funny because he's someone who was so talented, whose influence is so broad, it's really impossible to imagine theater without him. But when he died, the first thing I thought of was the fact that when I lived in Bushwick, there was this ice cream truck that would drive around. (laughs) The neighborhood, and it would play Send in the Clowns, which is not a song about the circus, a very depressing song, like not a song for children, but I guess just because of the title, the driver thought it would be an appropriate choice for uh, an ice cream truck. So, I always just kind of have this weird Muzak version of that song stuck in my head for all eternity. What is Sending the Clowns from? It's from a play called A Little Night Music, which was like an adaptation of I forget what some Igmar Bergman film. I forget which one.
0: Okay. It's not about the never to be released Jerry Lewis film where he plays a clown that has to lead children to the gas chambers during the Holocaust. No, it's right? not that dark.
1: Okay. No. But I feel like people don't really want us to talk about Sondheim when we can talk about Virgil Abloh, which much more shocking death.
0: Uh, Yes, Sondheim was 91. Yeah, I mean, I haven't
1: been this shocked by a death in the fashion industry since Alexander McQueen. It had that same kind of quality.
0: Yeah. For those who have been living under a rock, on Sunday, the fashion world was rocked by the death of Virgil Abloh at the way too young age of 41 after a two-year battle with a rare form of cancer called cardiac angiosarcoma. So yet again, fuck you, cancer. Yeah. It's tragic.
1: I mean, look, if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you know I'm not the biggest off-white fan. In fact, in our previous episode, I very rudely dragged his free Winona shirts, uh, which was definitely not a good look in the aftermath of his death. But I can't change the past, nor do I want to be a two-faced bitch about this. I mean, I can have my opinion, but I can also recognize that what he accomplished during the course of his career was inspiring and unprecedented. He was the most successful black fashion designer working today. I mean, the only person that's in his league is Kanye West, and Kanye doesn't have the prestige of being appointed to a luxury house.
0: Not yet. (laughs) Yeah, I think that we can respect him as a creative director, even though we don't really care for his output as a designer, but it can't... Well, yeah,
1: he's more of a creative director than like a dressmaker. He's closer to a an Andy Warhol than a Christian Dior, and that's fine. That's a legitimate approach to design.
0: Yeah, I mean, his space and history has already been written. I think he and certainly Demna are the figureheads of this epoch of fashion we're in, this like self-referential, ironic fashion era. Well, it's
1: also he brought streetwear to a French luxury house. I mean, to be fair, Kim Jones before him had done that Supreme collaboration, which, you know, anticipated Virgil, but Virgil is the one that just had, went ham with that, had a total vision for the brand, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it just means we don't want to spend $1,200 on a bag that says bag.
1: (laughs) Right, well, that's Off-White. There's Off-White, there's Louis Vuitton. I always think Louis Vuitton has been stronger than Off-White. I may not always love the head-to-toe look in a Louis Vuitton show, but there's always beautiful pieces. Like, every time I go in the store, there's something amazing. You know, I thought there was a lot of great pieces in whatever that Michael Jackson collection was that that never saw, uh, was never released because of Finding Neverland. Um, that was beige,
0: But the lookbook was great. Yeah. And then on Tuesday, LVMH went ahead with showing Virgil's last show for Vuitton at Art Basel, which seemed... Between the short film and the giant Virgil rainbow statue that was outside, at least I got the sense that Virgil knew he was going to pass and that this was his last show.
1: Well, yeah. Or did that have to be fabricated in like three days? Like there's a, a very similar ombre statue that's in the Rodeo Drive store. It's not of Virgil, but like this is something they've done previously.
0: Yeah, I choose to believe that they could not fabricate a 50 foot statue of virgil in two days
1: if they did someone tell us because that's very impressive i mean even just like coordinating those what were they drones in the sky that were spelling out virgil was here yeah is just impressive but yeah, it's very sad. Uh, well, it's also kind of confusing, this show, because most of it had previously been shown. Like, it was not an entirely new fashion show. Ugh,
0: how, how Virgil, he's referencing himself.
1: Yeah, a lot of it was the Spring 22 show, which we had already seen. So on Vogue Runway, it's the images from that show, and then the images from the Basil show tacked on at the end. It's just, it's it's strange. Anyway, rest in peace, Virgil Abloh. It's really sad, especially when you think about the fact that he has, like, you know, a wife and kids and shit.
0: But my second thought was, like, is Kanye okay? Uh,
1: Yeah, I am very concerned about Kanye. I'm sure he's a wreck. I'm sure there's not that many people that I think Kanye can relate to, you know? And him and Virgil have known each other for so long. You know, they're from Chicago, all of that. Right. Um, He's been an integral part of Kanye's creative team,
0: certainly. Right, he ran Donda and he did the art direction for a few of his albums. Yeah. Shall we get into Kardashians now? Sure. kardashian Aholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. Kanye already was not doing well before the the death of his friend because on Thanksgiving he released a truly deranged video piece what would you call it i don't know what i would call it
1: i did love it (laughs) it was basically him saying happy thanksgiving here's why i'm a piece of shit and then he's like first i spend too much money i spend money like crazy it's fucked up secondly my ego like i have a terrible ego
0: i ran for president when i knew i shouldn't have yeah exactly
1: all of it. I was a shitty husband to Kim. Like, he really just, like, runs through the laundry list of things that are wrong with him.
0: Right, but it's it's too little too late in my mind. Like, I feel like women, we give men thousands of chances. Like, our friends will be like, leave him. And it's like, wait, no, maybe, maybe, maybe. We hold on, we hold on, we hold on. But the second we're done, there's no getting back in. And I feel like Kim's at that place. Well, Kim
1: was ride or die, did give him 10,000 chances, did seem to be a very supportive partner, but everyone has a line. I also can't help but think that her being out and about with Pete Davidson is prompted this in a way. Oh, for sure. Or made it realer for
0: Kanye. That's what it is. It became real to him of like, oh, wait, I don't think she is going to come back. Yeah. I hope she doesn't, please. I don't think she will. It's too much. I also think that she's had a year to process this and he's maybe at month four of processing and grieving the loss of this relationship.
1: For sure. I I completely believe that. Anyway, I hope Kanye's okay. He's just in his cement uh, beach house in Malibu. Yeah, but I mean, everything with, it's like, that's, that's really sad. He's going through a lot. So sending prayers, sending Thanksgiving prayers to Kanye.
0: Do you think Kanye seeing that photo of uh, Pete Davidson with hickeys on his throat prompted the, uh, Kim, let me tell you all the ways that I fucked up. (laughs) Yes, yes,
1: yes. Which is something else that happened last week, which was Pete has a visible hickey on his neck. And we, we know where that came from.
0: I don't know. Kim
1: doesn't seem the type. I think this relationship continues to be fascinating. Part of me can't help but think that Kim couldn't just let Courtney upstage her. Well, you know, yeah. like, so she had to, like, find an even more major, like, sort of punky, edgy guy to have an equally PDA-filled, fun relationship with?
0: Well, if we wanna be a little more generous about that, instead of upstaging her sister, I would maybe look at it as her sister opened up a door to a type of guy where it's like, oh, okay. That's true, but now
1: like do we even care about Kravis anymore? Not really. It's not, all about Kim and Pete.
0: Not until they get married. Yeah. You think she'll still be with Pete when they get married? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I I hope it lasts. Pete and Kim
1: Yeah, or, you know, if it fizzles out after a few months, whatever.
0: I more hope it's that. To me, I think this is the perfect rebound. She can kind of control everything. She basically knows where he's going to be because he's at SNL. It's not like he went to Wyoming. True. I forgot to tell her. Um, what else happened? We have some new TikToks. Well, yes, I revealed to you that it came to light that Penelope and Courtney supervising, and then North and Kim supervising, have what were private tiktoks or unknown tiktoks that in the last week have come to light that it is actually north and penelope's tiktoks and not just like a fan cam or something because when i initially saw these accounts they're now verified but i was like i was like oh is this on stories or something because there's a video that i showed you of penelope giving us the content we want and showing everything from the palm desert house thanksgiving yes the food the table setup the kylie skin in the bathroom. for you the candle closet oh that that was the best i know
1: i made you like freeze frame it because i wanted to see what candles they had they have some some nest candles that was surprising seems a little lowbrow for them then you yelled at me you were like there's a wider shot lord
0: (laughs) i was like i'm trying uh
1: yeah she had many different diptychs, you know but i couldn't really recognize the other ones i'm intrigued there was no like no byredo
0: well, this is what you're going to stay up at night doing. You were like, there's baskets with words on them, Lauren. What does it say? I'm like, sunscreen?
1: <laughs> I know. And then we're like, oh my God, is that where they put all of the the Lumisol that gets sent to the house?
0: It's interesting the different TikTok styles that Penelope versus North has have. I'm trying to discuss this without being creepy because their children and their mothers are being semi-good parents and having a TikTok account with them. But I think they've realized we can't keep the children away from social media. And it's. Funny that these eight eight-year-olds are exactly like any other influencing tween and in wanting to do fit picks. Like North's are very specifically fit pick-centric.
1: And it's all like we know you're Kanye's daughter. You don't have to wear like the late registration tee and the Yeezy foam shoes. But doesn't she? She does. I mean, she's cute.
0: They're both adorable. And look, if this gets us what we truly want, which is just inside their insane homes content that we that not even architectural digest can give us like we're in yeah for sure i just love that the palm desert house in each bathroom seems to be stocked with kylie skin products yeah well it seems like the
1: kind of skincare that like children would be into you know (laughs) like it's for tween teenage girls you know 20 something like it's not for us
0: women of a certain age (laughs) women of us yes (laughs) yes Is that all that happened?
1: Blessedly, I think that's it. Okay. I can't believe this is the last podcast episode where we (laughs) will have not seen And Just Like That.
0: I know, it's crazy, guys. So tune in next week. It'll be our first And Just Like That episode rewatch.
1: Where we will be recapping the first two episodes.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: Oh, thank you for everyone who's been tagging us in your Spotify... um, rewatch. Yeah, is that what it's called? I believe so. Yeah. It's really cute. um, And we appreciate
0: it. And thank you for spending evidently the majority of your year with our sardonic monotone voices.
1: Yeah, love that for you.
0: See, that sounded mean and sarcastic, but we mean it (laughs) genuinely. Thank you so much.
1: All right, guys. See you next week.
0: See you next week.
1: Bye. Bye.